You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Hi, I'm M. Jetton and I'll be reading our Bible passage today, Galatians 4, verses 21 to 31. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where the people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labour. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, we are children of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Don't try this at home. Have you ever watched a video or a TV show where they've said that? Dennis is going to set himself on fire, jump off a 50 metre high bridge and then swim through shark infested waters safely to the shore. But remember kids, don't try this at home. It's probably a legal requirement that the producers of the show have to say that in case they get sued because someone actually does what they see on the video. Although I have seen someone around our church uh, wearing this T-shirt. I tried it at home. Uh, So maybe that advice, and I'm sure that advice, isn't always followed. I feel like today's Bible passage from Galatians chapter 4 probably should come with this sort of warning. Kids and adults, don't try this at home. Paul's been arguing through the book of Galatians that followers of Jesus should not go back to the Old Testament laws and try and keep all of those laws in order to try and have a relationship with God. We don't need to do that because Jesus has done it. Jesus has perfectly kept the law. 
He has given his life on the cross. And so we now, as his followers, all we need to do is put our faith in Jesus. We don't have to keep all of the ritual requirements of the Old Testament in order to be right with God. And in this particular Bible passage, Paul goes back into the Old Testament and he picks up a story from the Old Testament, the story of Abraham, in order to strengthen and reinforce his arguments. But the way that he uses the story is strange and unusual to us. You might even say it's dangerous. I mean, how does Paul get that out of that story? Kids, adults, don't try this at home. I'm not recommending that you use Paul's method of biblical interpretation, uh, that you or I actually try and read Bible passages in this way. But we do need to understand what Paul is saying here and why he's saying it. And a good way to unpack this passage uh, is to think about the history that he's describing or the story of Abraham. That's in verses 21 to 23 then the interpretation that he draws out of it, what this story represents, that's in verses uh, 24 to 27, and then the personal application of all of that in verses 28 to 31. So if you've got your Bibles or your phone, you might like to follow it along as we unpack what this passage is all about. So firstly, the story of Abraham in verses 21 to 23. Paul's drawing on a story that you can find in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis 15 and Genesis 21. Now, Paul's listeners, readers, would have been really familiar with this story, um, which is why he uses it. They would have known it off by heart. They would have heard it heaps of times. But we're less familiar with it. And in fact, you might never have heard this particular story about Abraham and Hagar and Sarah. So let me retell it so that we can get our heads around exactly what's going on here. Uh, Abraham lived thousands of years ago and God spoke to him and gave him a number of promises. One of those promises was that Abraham and Sarah would have a son and that they would have many descendants which would come as a result of the birth of this son. Well, that sounds, you know, pretty standard and unremarkable. People often have large families, nothing radical about that. Except for the fact that Abraham and Sarah, by this time in their lives, were actually quite old. And despite decades of trying to have children, they hadn't been able to. And God makes this promise that they will have a son. And then more years pass and still nothing has happened. So there's this real question in their minds, will God actually keep his promise or not? God said he will do it, but will it happen? And so amidst their doubt as to whether God will keep his promise, Abraham and Sarah decide to give God a helping hand. Let's help God keep the promise that he has made. And so they agree together that Abraham should sleep with Hagar who is Sarah's slave, so that Hagar can have a baby, bear a son, and that will ensure that God will keep his promise. Now, there are so many things wrong with this whole scenario that it's hard to know where to begin. Slavery, um, Hagar's seeming lack of rights over her own body, 
the status of the child that is born being regarded as a, as a slave because he's the son of a slave, sexual expression being taken out of the context of a marriage relationship, let alone, you know, the flagrant lack of trust in God shown through the entire thing. There's, there is nothing good, there is nothing desirable about anything in this whole scenario. And it's helpful for us to remember that, that when we read a story in the Bible, particularly a story in the Old Testament, that just because it's described in the Bible doesn't mean that it's being condoned and it doesn't mean that the characters and what they're doing are being held up in any way as being good examples to us. In fact, it's often the opposite. What the Bible does is it, it describes what happens without really commentary on whether it's good or bad, but then it also describes the mess and the dysfunction that follows as a result of these actions. And it's, it's almost as a warning. If you read this story and you see how disastrous this all turns out, it's a lesson there that, that maybe these aren't good examples and they're definitely not good actions that should be followed. And that's exactly what happens in this story as well. Hagar does get pregnant and she gives birth to a son whose name is Ishmael. But this just leads to jealousy, to animosity, to further abuse of Hagar by Sarah. The whole thing is a complete and utter mess. And then in the midst of it all, God miraculously gives Sarah a baby. She becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son whose name is Isaac. I mean, God did promise that he would do it after all even though Abraham and Sarah failed to trust him. And so that's the story. You've got Abraham, and then you've got these two women, Hagar, who is the slave, Sarah, who is the free woman. And each of those women have a son, Ishmael, who is also a slave because he's Hagar's son, who's been born naturally, or as this passage says, according to the flesh. That is, he's the natural outcome of Abraham and Hagar sleeping together. He's been sort of naturally born as a result of their union. And then you've also got Isaac, who is the son of Sarah, the free woman, and his birth is supernatural. I mean, yes, Abraham and Sarah slept together, so in that sense, it's normal, but there is no way that he would have been born under normal and natural circumstances. It is only because God promised that he would be born and God intervened in that situation to make sure that he was born. So Isaac is the result of God's promise. God said it would happen, God intervenes, and he makes sure that it happens. So that's the story. So far, so good. But then in verse 24, Paul gets a bit funky. This is what he writes. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. Paul's going to use this story to represent something else that is going on beneath the surface. The word in our passage, figuratively, uh, is the, the Greek word allegorio, where we get the word allegory from. Right? And allegory is... Um, when you say something else 
other than what's on the surface. It's like there's a hidden meaning to be found that you wouldn't normally notice. And this is where the don't try this at home kicks in. It's not, an, it's not a good practice for us as Christians to try and find hidden meanings secretly beneath the surface level of the text. And in the history of Christianity, people have approached the Bible this way and found all sorts of remarkable things that you wouldn't normally notice. But the trouble is that there's no real constraint on this. You can make any text say whatever you want, really, if you start following this methodology. And it's a much better practice to try and understand what would the original hearers have understood and just look for the basic and simple and surface meaning of the text to hear what God is saying to us through his word. So we might ask the question, well, why does Paul do this? Well, it's quite possible that what he is doing, he's responding to his opponents who have already used this story and are sort of using it as a weapon against the Christians in Galatia. Uh, these opponents, these are the ones who want people to return to the Old Testament law, who want followers of Jesus to get circumcised. They need to follow the Jewish ritual laws if they're going to be a true blue Christian and be accepted by God. Their argument is to be a true follower of Jesus, you also have to be a member of the people of Israel. You need to be circumcised and you need to follow all of the laws. You need to line yourself up with the physical descent from Abraham and Isaac. So in their interpretation of the story, Isaac is the physical ancestor of the Jewish people who are God's chosen people and you need to line up with him by keeping the Old Testament laws. Ishmael, on the other hand, well, he's the physical descendant of Gentile people, non-Jewish people, and they are outside God's plans. And so Paul says, okay, let's look at this story. But when you look at it, something very different is going on. There's a different interpretation that we need to apply to this same story. So in Paul's reading of the story, Hagar, who is the slave woman, represents the old covenant or the Old Testament, as we call it, the first part of the Bible before Jesus. This covenant or this agreement was given by God at Mount Sinai. That's where the Ten Commandments and the laws were given to the people of Israel. And Paul points out in our passage, by the way, that Mount Sinai is in the region of Arabia. And even today, uh, the Arab people traced their descent from Ishmael. So he's linking the old covenant given at Sinai to Ishmael, the slave. And so too, in line with his arguments that he's been making through the book of Galatians, Paul says that if you are under the law, if you try and keep all of the Old Testament laws and keep those ritual requirements, then you are actually in slavery like Hagar and Ishmael. And he draws a correspondence to the physical city of Jerusalem as well, which is probably where these opponents have come from who are bringing this teaching. In contrast, he says, the true descendants of Sarah and Isaac, the free woman and her son, are not those who are physically descended from them, but those who believe the promises of God. Children of the promise 
People who believe the promises are the true descendants of Isaac. And they're part of the Jerusalem that is above, Paul says, which is heaven. And they're the ones who are truly free. So it's a radical reworking of this entire story. And it would have been pretty offensive to those who were from the nation of Israel. Paul is arguing here that the true descendants of Abraham, the true free people of God, are those who have believed the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They are the ones who are the children of the promise, even though they can't physically trace their descent, their racial heritage, back to Abraham and Isaac. Now, all of this shows how the coming of Jesus radically redefines our identity. It shows that our primary allegiance as followers of Jesus is not racial. It's not national. It's not even family. It's actually defined by being in relationship with Jesus along with other followers of Jesus. So church becomes our primary identity. Jesus reshapes relationships in such a way that church becomes our first family and becomes a new humanity, a new people of God united together in Jesus. Everyone who trusts in Jesus are united together as brothers and sisters and children together, and it even supersedes blood ties in families and nations. Now, Jesus himself said this on a number of occasions. So one time where he is speaking to a crowd of people and his mother and his brothers come to see him, we read this. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now that sort of teaching is pretty challenging for those of us who come from really tight knit, close families. We feel like that, that rubs up against us the wrong way. But it shows that being linked to Jesus is such a powerful thing that it brings us into close relationships, tight, strong relationships with other Jesus followers. Of course, on the flip side, if you're someone who has come from a difficult family or you've had family who've been absent, well, this reality of church as first family opens up new and wonderful avenues for relationship for you provided that we as followers of Jesus actually live this out as we should put it into practice. And it is a beautiful thing when it's put into practice. I was meeting with an older minister who mentors me. And at the start of the meeting, he flagged the fact that his, his phone might ring. He apologised. He said, I'm, I'm actually going to need to have my phone on in this meeting because my adopted daughter might go into labour. And if she does, then my wife and I need to go to the hospital to be with them. And I was a bit surprised because I'd known him for a while. I didn't know that he actually had an adopted daughter. And he explained to me that um, 
part of their ministry, uh, they met a guy from Pakistan who became interested in Christianity through the ministry at St. Paul's Cathedral here in Melbourne. And they were part of his journey of coming to put his trust in Jesus and to be baptised. But because of his background, religious background being from Pakistan, that decision to follow Jesus, to be baptised, meant that his family disowned him. They said, if you do this, you are no longer our brother. You are no longer our son. We want nothing to do with you. In fact, they would have killed him if they could have got hold of him. So what did this godly older couple do? Uh, That's too bad. Um, Oh, well, hope it all works out following Jesus. No, they said, we will be your mother and your father. We will include you in our family. Whatever you need, now that your mother and father have rejected you, we will be that to you. And when you're going into labour, we will be the ones who come to the hospital and stand by you and support you because we are family together in Jesus. Faith in Jesus just radically turns relationships upside down. It brings new identity and new connections to us. He creates a new people of God, a new family united in him. And it's a big family too, a multi-ethnic international family with lots and lots of children. That's Paul's point here where he quotes from Isaiah um, And uh, the passage that we read there, finishing in verse 27, says these words. More are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. All of these children come through faith in Jesus. It it grows and it's growing all the time. It's this multi-ethnic international family. And even today, as millions of people are becoming followers of Jesus in places like China, we are part of that new family of God. It's huge. It's growing. Even in terms of our own Anglican church worldwide, I mean, Anglican means English, right? When you think of Anglican, you think, you know, white people. But your average, most typical Anglican in the world today is a black teenage girl somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa. That is your most typical Anglican. That is the family that we're part of. That is the church as people come to put their faith in Jesus, become children of the promise and follow him. Jesus redefines family. It's all about faith in Jesus and believing the promises of God. And so lastly, in verses 28 to 31, Paul moves from the history and the representation to the application. Verse 28. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. If you have believed the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus, then you also are a child of the promise and in this line of ascent through Abraham and Isaac. You're a free person like Isaac. You're set free from slavery to sin. You're set free from relentlessly trying to keep the rules and keep the laws so that God will finally accept you or think you're okay. No, we're set free in Jesus. He has done it all for us. We get to share in the inheritance, Paul writes. This is something that that Julie spoke about a few weeks ago. 
that everything that God has promised his people become ours in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness and life and peace and meaning and hope and blessing all flow as we put our trust in him. They're given as free gifts to those who trust in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Persecution and hardship comes as well. Paul says that here as well, and he interprets for the Galatians their own experience where they are being persecuted by this group of people who are telling them that they're not in with God, that they need to do all of these extra things. And he says, well, that's exactly what happened with Ishmael and Isaac in that story as well. But don't give in. Just because it's hard, don't give in. Don't give up your freedom. Don't give up your inheritance. Don't give up this new family that you are part of, the family of promise. Don't be sucked into a deceptive way of thinking. And it's the same for us, brothers and sisters. Paul's argument here is a bit strange. It's a bit unusual. But the point he's making here is exactly the same point that he's been hitting up again and again through the book of Galatians. Jesus has done it all. Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the law. He's lived the perfect life. He's gone to the cross to deal with our sin and failings. And he's risen from the dead, showing us the way for us, the hope and the future that we have in him. All we need to do is turn to Jesus, trust in Jesus, embrace Jesus and give ourselves fully in relationship to him. It's from him that all the benefits flow. You don't need to add your own striving and your own achievements. Jesus is enough. We are children of the promise together. So let's embrace our new faith in Jesus, our new family that we have in him. We're part of a new humanity, a multi-ethnic international community of Jesus followers that we belong to. And we need to live that out locally in our real life church community here where we find ourselves, in our life groups as we meet together and share life with each other as family, as we gather in our congregations to worship God together and to encourage each other and to help each other to live out this life in him. You, brothers and sisters, are children of the promise. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.